Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pleasantly Persistent Podcast by Rooted Food Sales. I'm joined today by Erin Kate Whitcomb. And Erin, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to us. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Um, I work in the CPG food space, specifically focused on helping retail brands get into food service. Um, I work with typically one, sometimes two brands at a time to help them understand the space of food service, how it's different from retail, and to get them to revenue faster. Um, the gap between retail and food service, as you very well know, is um, is big enough to scare people, but small enough to, to help people get, uh, get an understanding of that pretty quickly. So with the right guidance and the right tools, um, helping people to, to take the bridge over to the food service side. The other part of my business is called Working Courage, and um, I help brands and corporations work on internal culture with a specific focus on generational difference and identifying how that can actually be a great boon to productivity um, if we understand how to collaborate together. So that's what I do. And you most you wrote, wrote a book as well, correct? That is correct. I wrote a book called Good Work. How Gen X and Millennials are the dream team for doing good when collaborating well. Amazing. Write it so down. It's really short and easy. Let's and we we will uh, definitely have that a link to that so people can find that um, when they're listening to this. So let's dig into that a little bit. Um, generational differences in work. Kind of summarizing that for us. What have you found that to be? I think that's I've seen that to be a big topic now. I mean, there's even like. There's a, a, a comedian on Instagram who posts a video pretty much once a week that shows like all the generations and how they respond to problems at work. It's quite entertaining. Um, but I would love for you to kind of, for us, like dig into what that looks like, what you've seen, you know, in terms of, I think people, there's a lot of like um, jokes about generational differences at work, right? And I think those in the older generations, not to say older, but you know, the, the millennial and above, right? They, they definitely sometimes feel that the younger generation doesn't respect them at work or doesn't respect their style and then vice versa. The other, the, and I'm terrible at knowing all the different generations in terms of their exact term, um, you know, but they feel that the, the Gen Zers and whatnot, right, don't know how to work and aren't working well. So I think there's a big miscommunication between all of that. And it seems based on the start of what I've read in your book that you were really passionate about kind of helping build those differences and how all the generations can come together to really have a really strong working relationship. So dig into that for us a bit. Absolutely. So first of all, um, this has existed um, since BC, since the, pretty much the beginning of time. And you can see, you know, even Sophocles wrote something about these people today don't know how to work, the young people today. So we're talking about this is, has always existed. I think for us, the highlights come up. Um, I think we started thinking about this collectively when the press started talking about millennials. Um, but before millennials came Gen X, before Gen X came the baby boomers, before the boomers came the traditional, and then it was the greatest generation. So that there have been names in some uh, form for uh, multiple generations before us. So um, it can be an amazingly uh, productive culture to have multiple generations. So when you think about DE&I, for example, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, one of the things that kind of gets skipped is age difference. And there's age discrimination against older people in certain um, 
I don't know, certain industries. And then there's also uh, discrimination against younger generations uh, who, for better or worse, feel like they know what they need to know to get started and to start adding value right now. So I'm a Gen Xer, just gonna come out and say it. Um, and I think the, um, what, what I saw was there was a meritocracy when I was growing up. And same with baby boomers. Baby boomers were like the worst when it came to having no work-life balance. It was all about like, you, you know, you're showing up to work every day, you're working on weekends, you're working late hours, you're expecting people around you to do what you're doing, observe you and demonstrate your dedication to the company. Um, if we're going to skip forward now to millennials, um, which is also Gen Y, and then Gen Z, which is entering the workforce now, um, there's a huge difference between that frame of mind and what exists today. And the, there is a lot of um, judgment on both sides about each other's generation. So there are tools in my book to help people work through these things. You can just do a few of them at a time, but I think on both sides of that, um, from every generation, we can all do better by learning about the generations before and after us, and also our own generations. Um, and by way of definition, I, I just want to throw in there too, Christy, that um, there's a, a great book called Gentelligence. And in that book, they talk about how generational generations are decided, so to speak. Like, what what are the age ranges, uh, or I should say, the birth year ranges um, for these generations? And they typically surround um, a significant. And this is an American perspective, by the way. This is, does not take into account um, different countries or different continents. Um, significant life events that happened in the U.S. that would affect your perspective on the world. So we're talking about things like World War II um, or, you know, to, to way fast forward, um, September 11th. So um, these are things that significantly impacted how, how our lives came together um, and how, how we feel safe or unsafe. Um, so this is yeah, a that, lot. that's interesting. I didn't actually know how they ever how they determine the years. I'm a millennial, um, but I've always been curious about yeah, how do they figure out that year thing? So it's really around like kind of in some ways a U.S. catastrophic or like big event that kind of shaped your time period. Yes, that's one of the few factors. But yes, that's okay. probably the key one. And so, what do you what do you see as the biggest challenge that people are facing with like multi generational teams? I think the biggest challenge is um, an inability to collaborate um, to bring all the right all the voices to the table. Um, I think there's a, a big divide between what people consider a senior leadership team and people who work, for lack of a better term, below them. Um, and so, having conversations where you're making decisions and, in particular, innovating, it's really important to have multiple generations in there because. Um, people who have been in the workforce for a long time have an amazing perspective operationally and to some degree psychologically around consumer behaviors and younger people have a much more interesting perspective around marketing and so and and, and customer relationships so there's a, a can be a real old-school like I'm when when I'm talking about my own personality I'm very old-school when it comes to account management I talk to people it's all about relationships. 
Um, I build those relationships, strengthen them, do everything I can to make sure that we have earned their loyalty. Um, and then from a, from a marketing perspective, uh, I'm the worst. I mean, I, I'm good at you know writing, writing content um, or just giving sales perspective to the marketing teams. But when it comes down to it, I want people who know how to reach the generations that we're targeting. Um, and that seems fairly obvious, but we're not always very good at that. And so as senior leaders or people who are in you know a, an older age group, uh, Gen X, Millennials, and in some cases, it's now starting to be millennials. Um, are, I'm are aware. Not, <laughs> exactly, uh, are not always um, uh, really keyed into how the consumer thinks today. Yeah, and I think I mean, in some ways, in that even if you think about like what we were saying about some age um, discrimination, I think it's harder for older individuals in marketing to keep growing in their career. Like I've seen that, you know, some incredible people in marketing who have struggled to get hired later because that younger generation is really driving. I think the marketing hires a ton. Uh, I'm curious, what do you, do you talk at all in your book or do you have a perspective on, I think we're seeing a lot of younger senior leaders managing people in older, gener in older generations. Um, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts around that or ways to help people navigate that because I think that can be tricky. Um, I manage all different ages mm -hmm. and have, um, and, and you, right. You also have to take into your own account, like your internal voice and your, um, ability to be a strong leader and not feel like less than because of your age. I also have someone who's looked very young my entire career, which mm -hmm. has not helped me. <laughs> I keep <laughs> waiting for the day when people actually know how old I am. Um, it hasn't happened quite yet. But I'm curious, yeah, do you have thoughts or advice around that for those who are managing more so generations that are older than them? Well, first of all, congratulations on having older people on your team. I think that is an incredible point of diversity, as I mentioned earlier, and I, I love that. Um, the A couple things come to mind. First of all, getting to know people as individuals is super important, and I think there's a, a tends to be especially on uh, teams as they start to grow, less of a focus on understanding who your team members are as individuals. So um, while we can categorize people by generation, obviously there's a whole lot of nuance in there and like personal experience and economic, um, things you grew up with around economics in your family, um, where you are in birth order. I mean, there's a million things that, that contribute to who we are, um, what schools we went to. Um, so getting to know your people is, is super, super important. But um, the other piece of it in terms of the, the generational diversity on a team is to ask more open questions, get more people's voices at the table, um, it, be careful about driving an agenda. You know, if you're coming in and saying, you know, um, should we post on what should we post on social media is a is probably not the best question. There's a lot, I mean, obviously each social media channel has its own voices. Um, your brand voice needs to come through. Um, any brand needs to be really clear about who they are. And so dialing into that mission, vision, and values piece and making sure everybody on your team, regardless of age, is also dialed into that um, levels things out quite a bit. And then getting to know people as individuals is super important. And the third thing I would say is um, 
and not everybody's a fan of this and some people are wildly fanatic about it and it's things like disc training so getting to, to doing personality testing um, and how people respond to conflict um, what is their personality type but they tend to be more direct are they better at, at you know taking on quote-unquote orders you know uh, transactional so I, behavior I versus love personality testing and career all the different ones that have come up that are really around career I was definitely put through a lot of that in my previous role some of it we definitely <laughs> bit our tongues about having to do and some of For it sure. we really embraced um, and so I've been through probably three or four different ones previously um, very eye-opening I think when you look at like an entire team and understanding even just personalities is fascinating because some people's personalities can come across really short or really in some ways like unhappy or whatever and then you learn that they're mm -hmm. just a very direct more personality and that's why they interact with other teams the way they do um so i'm curious do you have some that you really like that you recommend people use with teams i really like disc honestly um i've taken it a few times I've apparently changed over time because I've taken it a couple times and um, when I was working for another brand I was a, a D as in direct and I as in influencer um, so a combination of those two things and very acutely so and in some ways I was like wow when I started reading it I am a pain in the neck people need, <laughs> people need to know how to deal with me but the good news is I have a sense of humor that when I notice myself doing it I I call myself out on it um, and I'm getting better at that now and I've had my own business for four years now so it's easier to kind of you know be a little more fluid in your own space of course um, but also learning that some people are much more receivers of information they're not hatching and innovating as a natural course um, that's something that that I do in my brain constantly I actually have to actively sometimes turn it off because my my wackadoo brain is spinning on something um, so hard that I get distracted so for me I need to know when to bring myself in when I'm in the most most productive state of the time of the day um, so knowing yourself is super important as well and knowing how you react to those other people that are different from you um, will help you smooth things out a lot and then it will massively imp improve on improve the team's productivity. At knowing yourself is super key, I think. Um, there's a book that I read a long time ago. I think it's uh, Managing Yourself. It's like a Harvard Business Review book, but it, that's the whole topic is how to manage yourself. And I've pretty much been at startups or more like self-led type of working environments my entire career, which means that the rules, you know, I've never worked in a real corporate environment, um, which I appreciate. I think I'm probably ruined for that type of environment at this point, um, but it required being right a self-starter, like understanding how to manage myself, understanding how to prioritize things because you're, and you probably knew this a decent amount in working with founders and of startups and whatnot, right? Like mm -hmm. sometimes their direction isn't always super clear. So understanding like how to manage yourself and how like your pitfalls, like I know my weaknesses. I talk about my weaknesses with my team a lot, right? I'll, I'll admit it, oh, I did this, that's my weakness. And, and mm -hmm. trying to be like transparent about catching myself and letting them know that I'm aware that it's a weak point and I'm working on it. <laughs> um, for better or for worse, I'm working on those things. Um, but it, it, it can and be Christy, I just want to jump in on that that yeah. that is a very generational trait that um, Gen X and boomers 
we're very unlikely to ad admit that um, we don't know something. Because in a meritocracy where you're rewarded for what you know and how hard you work, admitting um, a shortcoming is ill-advised, was ill-advised yes. when, we when we were growing up. So, you know, when I see more and more of that um, interacting with founders who are millennials um, and some Gen Zers, Sometimes the first thing we do is it always has to be a check-in. Like I was always starting a meeting with, here's what we're doing today. You know, none of this squishy, <laughs> how was your weekend? <laughs> is, your, is your dad okay after his surgery last week? You know, we just didn't do that kind of stuff. And um, I think that th that evolution is something that I've had to adjust to. And I'm as social as anybody. So it's surprising to me that there's really such a, uh, there's like a work personality versus a hangout personality. And that your generation kind of, I think, started that um, disclaimer of self, um, I, you know, that I'm self-aware and I know that I'm, this is something I need to work on. And also, by the way, my dad had surgery. And, you know, these are things that, that were not really talked about in the workplace. And in some ways, the, the work-life balance and the integration of all parts of your life has been an amazing change and everybody can learn from that. So thank you. Yeah. And your people. <laughs> it's, it, it is interesting how like, I think now, actually my husband and I were talking about this the other day, cause he was saying how like my real self is super integrated into my work. Like my team actually kind of knows who I really am. Mm -hmm. Whereas, um, you know, he was saying how like in, in his previous role, right? It was like his work persona. We were actually talking about um, whether or not to have like be friends with teammates or coworkers or whatnot on your social media and how, you know, that used to be pretty much like you did not do that. You don't want to add your boss <laughs> on Instagram. You don't want them to know what you're up to and you don't add, a lot of times you don't add your coworkers either, right? You have your work self and then this is me on social media, which I still think everyone has full right to do. Um, I personally like never add someone myself. If they want to add me, I'm delighted to engage with them and it's built deeper bonds for me with certain employees because I, we send each other things on there and I get to see more of what they're up to. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's a very fine line um, because there's certainly ways that people could misuse information from someone's social media. Um, oh, 100%. <laughs> so it's, it's really a personal decision, I think, on that. But we were just talking about the fact that like I am pretty much my true self at work. Obviously, there are certain you know personal boundaries or whatnot, but like so many people especially you know previously were really taught to like keep their personal life out of their work don't let anyone know what's happening and i think for females too right like you're never supposed to say you were never supposed to say i need to end early because my kid is sick or i you know you just don't talk about that stuff where now more cultures at work i think are more inclusive of understanding like what's happening in your personal life and how that is impacting you at work I had an incredible, incredible mentor and former boss, and she, she taught me kind of two things. One, she told me to hire people who knew more than I did, um, which is incredible advice. <laughs> I, I always like, when I'm interviewing, do you know more than me? Great, fantastic, that's what I'm looking for. And to hire people that have strengths that you don't have, right, like kind of twofold there. And then the other thing is she would always talk about like, checking in and understanding where people are at today because that does affect how they show up at meetings it does affect their work whether you Absolutely. like it or not if they had a fight with their spouse that morning or their dog is in the hospital like that is going to affect how they come to work today and she used to kind of have us do like just a quick check-in of like hey what's going on in your life okay great we now know that you maybe are coming to the table 
with some big stressors over you today, which is going to impact how you want to interact with everyone. And, and also she used to give us a, a kind of like a free card. Certainly you could abuse this, I'm sure, but like to say like today, I'm not up for this project at this, like I need to step back. I'm not gonna bring my best self to do this project. Is it possible to work on this project tomorrow? Um, and I just always thought that that was really powerful because I think we've all been through things in our lives that really, I mean, I'm divorced and remarried. I went through a divorce while working. Um, and certainly there were days I came to work that were not my best days. And I was fortunate to have a manager who I could say that to and she could let me like step back for a bit. Let's, let's talk. So let's, yeah, let's dig in a bit more on kind of what I was saying in regards to hiring someone that knows more than you, that's smarter than you or has skill sets that you don't have. I think that is about the best advice that someone can get, um, especially people that are working in, um, with founders and people who are uh, first time or early business owners who haven't really thought about how to build the culture of their team. Um, one of the things that I see is that people do hire, there are a number of entrepreneurs that will hire people that have skills that they don't have. Um, and there's very good reason for that. Obviously, it's like something needs to get done and I don't want to do it. So there's that piece, you know, I'm not good at it. I don't like it. I want to hire someone who's, that's their sweet spot. Um, but the, the tricky part comes when you hire people who know more than you do um, in whatever form that takes. It may be a salesperson. Um, that has an amazing background, but they don't do things the way you do things and you stop inviting them to the table, so to speak. You stop collaborating with them and now you've got all these people around you who you hired for their expertise and then you stopped asking them questions. So that is a massive culture killer. So, um, you know, when we're being conscious about that um, hiring process, um, your clarity about who you want, what you need. Um, obviously, there's. I've taken some tests like you, Christy, with the personality test things, and and um, they're trying to see if you're a good culture fit for yep. their organization. Um, a good fit isn't necessarily the right way to go about hiring um, in terms of a personality. Sometimes you just need to have that additional voice of collaboration, and that's another piece where DEI is so important: is that you're bringing voices from many different um, spaces into the room, and so those people that you're hiring that are either smarter than you or from a different background than you have, those voices all need to be at the table most of the time, particularly around innovation. Yeah, and I think founders sometimes like it's a trust piece, right? It's this is this thing that you've created and you've birthed, and now you bring in people who are, who are should be experts that you can kind of step back a little bit and trust. But it could, I mean, I've seen this time and time again with founders where I think it's like they want to, but then they're they're in that moment, and it can be really hard to like step back and say, I hired this person to be an expert on sales, or I hired this person to be an expert on marketing, and they're disagreeing with me, and I need to kind of listen to that and and go back to the truth of, I hired this person to be that expert for me. Um, I, I think, you know, founders are just a, a very special individual and many of them, it, more so they're getting better at that, about like collaborating earlier and bringing in experts. But it's, I think it's still been a tricky, a tricky piece for people. Well, um, this and is exactly why I named my business Working Courage, because a lot of this, these, stumbling blocks for founders um, are rooted in fear. 
the fear that they may lose track of their own mission, vision, values. Um, and that fear, it can be conquered. And so developing the courage to bring people to the table and challenging yourself as founders or as, as early stage leaders um, to have all the voices that you can at the table. Obviously, there's going to be a single point of decision at some point, but um, let's keep an open mind and listen to all of the new ideas because that's what's going to make a company shoot through the roof. There's no one person that makes that happen. A hundred percent. Um, well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. We like to end with a couple fun questions. So related around food and beverage. Yes. Um, what is your most purchased snack CPG packaged product in your home? Snack. Um, it could be carrots. It could be hummus. It could be a great chipper bar, anything. I'm, in that a, I'm, a, I'm a big time um, cucumbers and hummus person. But I also love me a Ghirardelli Square and the Williams Sonoma Peppermint Bark over the holidays. I'm just- And we're, we're heading that season, so it's about to be your time. We are, so thank you for reminding me of that. It's a very slimming conversation to have. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a most purchased beverage in your home? Um, my wife drinks a ton of Diet Coke. I'm a, a big time, um, sparkling water person um, and just water. I drink water, I drink matcha, I drink coffee every single day. I'm a Pete's coffee person, have been for 35 years. Um, I'm in San Francisco and yeah. Pete's is right over right over the bridge. Um, so I think those are those are our go-tos in our house. I just I just started digging into matcha. I had I'm not hadn't been a matcha person, um, but I do drink a like a mushroom coffee and they did a collab with Tenzo um, mm-hmm. and matcha. And so I just got that and I'm about to try it for the first time. So I'm, I'm gonna break into that and expand expand my, my daily drinks from mushroom coffee in the morning to trying to do the matcha in the afternoon and just yeah. keep it mushrooms and, and all the good stuff going all day long. <laughs> you sound so healthy. <laughs> well, you know, for well, you know, 90% of the that. time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I love the, the founders at Tenzo. I worked with them um, for about a year, I don't know, 16 months or something, and got them into food service. And they just do such a great job with their products and their, their mission and vision and values. And um, and boy, is, are their products good. So, I, you know, matcha is a really good one and it's so unbelievably healthy. So good I job. Wish- we should have we should have dug into mission, vision, and values more because I think that that is such a like when people have clarity around their mission and their vision and their values and they can keep referring to that. At my mm-hmm. previous company, we actually had like they were on the wall in everyone's office the three core values, um, and then you ran into a problem, you would go, "Huh? Am I solving this by my three core values?" Um, so not to take us on a huge tangent here, but I think that that is such an incredibly important thing for people to hone in on. Early and absolutely guide you through some of those bumps of startuping. Yep. Well, Erin Kate, where can people find you? Where's the best place for them to connect with you? And where is the best place for them to purchase your book? Well, you can find me at my website, www.working-courage.com. Uh, my book is on Amazon and we'll, I guess we'll throw a link in, in the notes on the show. Um, so you can find that. And if you want to buy 10 books or more, you can email me at erin-kate 
at working-courage.com and we can set that up and get that sent out to you. Um, and I also have a freebie on my website that's coming out where you can just download a PDF of four chapters that I selected from my book just to get a taste of it and to start using some tools right away for free. So um, just head to that website and you'll find that there. And I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. It was great to chat with you. Thank you.